all V1 podcast listeners, faithful listeners, first-time listeners. I've got such an incredible message to share with you today. This is the co-lead pastor of V1, Mike Signorelli. And listen, if you ever constantly feel like you should be further along in life, if you feel like you're never content because there's this thing you're meant for, this more that never comes, if people constantly tell you that you're great, that you're destined for greatness, but you don't actually even feel it, if you're your own worst critic, if you're tortured by voices that say that you're not measuring up, I mean, maybe you even believe in God, but you're not sure that that He believes in you. This message is for you. I'm telling you, something happened today. I'm sitting in my office right now. You're getting ready to listen in the next few seconds. And I just have to tell you, it's gonna pick up after I was crying on stage, so that's the part you missed. But God's got something for you. It's so incredible. I want you to listen to this entire message and I'll see you on the other side of it. Without further ado, this is Read Receipts, part four. What does God say about you? Everyone's still in that mode. Listen, I'm just gonna tell you guys, um, I don't just do stuff to do it. And this is not the church for you if you want that kind of pastor. Because I'm telling you, I'm after God. And just like Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ, I need you to see me cry a little sometimes because that's what it looks like to run after him. And I'm telling you, one of the biggest disservices we have done to the world as Christians is not cried and travailed and just carried this thing in such a way that reveals there's an authenticity to the burden. You know what I'm trying to say? Sometimes, some of the old church mothers in the house know what I'm talking about, a burden. You know what I mean? Where you cry because people are lost and they don't know Jesus and you'll do whatever you can to make that different here in your region, here in your home. Like, what, what would that look like? And for those of you who are, I think some of you guys are freaked out about it, but then we have the Long Island Medium who has a national television show. And, we're, and you know, the thing is, you're not afraid of weird. You know what you're afraid of? Fake. You know what I'm saying? The world's not afraid of weird. You know what, they're, you know what they don't want? Fake. And I think that I would always rather err on the side of just being authentic and showing you guys what I think the Lord is doing in this moment than shrinking back from it. Is that all right? It's all right with my mom. I hear her. Anyone else? (laughs) Yeah. All right. Let's go to Genesis chapter 25. It says this. Isaac prayed hard to God for his wife because she was barren. You guys can follow along on the screen or if you've got a physical Bible like me as well. We're in uh, this word. I'm telling you, first service, I am already hearing from people whose lives were changed. God's got an agenda for today. The question that we're trying to tackle today is what does God think about you? What does God think about you? And it says this, Isaac prayed hard to God for his wife because she was barren. God answered his prayer and Rebekah became pregnant. But the child, the children tumbled and kicked inside her so much that she said, if this is the way it's going to be, why go on living? So she goes from barren to pregnant with twins and they are duking it out in her belly so ravenously that she's like, why do I even go on living? And it says this, she went to God to find out what was going on, and then God told her. How many of you are thankful for a God word in your life? This is what God said, two nations are in your womb. (laughs) Ruh-roh. 
Two people's butting heads while still in your body. One people will overpower the other, and the older will serve the younger. This is what God said. You ready? When her time came to give birth, sure enough, there were twins in her womb. The first came out reddish as if snugly wrapped in a hairy blanket. This is obviously the message version, right? Came out like Chewbacca with red hair. (laughs) They named him Esau. His brother followed. His fist clutched tight to Esau's heel. They named him Jacob, heel grabber. Isaac was 60 years old when he was born. Now, how many of you know that you all are a heel-grabbing people in this room? I've got a heel-grabbing church. And let me explain that for those of you who are not picking up on the theological implications of that. You know that you are a heel-grabber when you constantly feel like you should be further along in life. Now, let me explain something to you just to give you the historical context here inside of Judaism. There was an inheritance that would be transmitted from the father down to the firstborn son. And see, that meant a lot considering the fact that Jacob was in the lineage of Abraham. And so to be second born, second place, was not the same significance of being firstborn. So there was a promise on the line. And let me tell you something about birth because I had a front row seat for two of them and it's nasty and gross, okay? Let me just tell you. Babies do not or should not come out hand first. It is not a slip and slide. Amen. I went there. Yes, I did. And someone's like, I knew I was home. (laughs) It's my kind of pastor. And so Jacob (laughs) comes out hand first holding Esau's heel, which was an, an unnatural. And I think that the biblical text suggests that it was a supernatural event. And so there was something in him, even in the womb, they begin to duke it out. Now, my mom had twins, and, you know, it's kind of weird to see these alien creatures in their body. You know, when a woman's pregnant, it's weird. But this was a violent activity that was happening that seemed to indicate something going on inside there is, is unnatural. And so... As this thing began to play out, God gives a word. There are two nations in your womb, and the younger will actually rule over the older. And so Esau comes out first, and here comes Jacob holding onto the heel of his brother. Seemed to indicate that there was something in the very DNA of Jacob that understood there is more for my life. Because being second born was simply unacceptable by his standard of what God had placed in his DNA. And all the middle children said, amen, because I know y'all are messed up. I'm the oldest. (laughs) But you know that you're a heel grabber, one, if you constantly feel like you should be further along in life. You also know that you're a heel grabber if you're never content because you feel like you're meant for more, and it's a more that never comes. Anyone felt like that before? It's the more that never comes after the Hillsong Conference. It's the more that never comes after the hype of the Bethel Conference. It's the more that never comes after Pastor Mike cries in front of you in a service, and then it's over, and then all you want is McDonald's again. (laughs) I want more Big Macs. That's the only thing that happened to me after that church service. Anyone else ever wake up, and you can't decide, do I want to conquer the world or call off for work and conquer a Netflix series in one day? (laughs) It was more of like a mixture of a laugh and a groan right there. The crowd was like, ah, (laughs) walking dead fans. 
you know that you are a heel grabber like Jacob if you are your own worst critic. If people say that you're great, but you never feel it. Oh, you're so awesome. What a great job. And you're like, I guess, right? You used to hate Eeyore as a kid. Now you are him. <laughs> Remember that Eeyore annoyed you so bad. And then as an adult, you're like, I feel that dude. I feel that dude. We need to get him some pills. We need to get him some, you know what I'm saying? Eeyore, like, like now you want to take Eeyore through your journey of counseling to help him too. <laughs> you know that you're, somebody's already getting free. I haven't even preached yet. Someone, you know that, that you are a heel grabber if you're tortured by voices that say that you're not measuring up. Constantly tell you, you know that you're a heel grabber if maybe you believe in God, but you're not quite sure that he believes in you or what he says about you. You know, the other day I was in this like invite only round table and it was in Manhattan and it was in this, and now I'm from Indiana. So I had to get security clearance to go into this turnstile. And I'm like, man, this is like pastoring on the next level. I'm getting security cleared into this room. It's this prestigious thing. And we're sitting with all these church planters and pastors in New York city Metro. And all of a sudden, as we sequence through the lesson of that day, um, the slide comes up. This is just this week. And the slide says, what does God think about you? So I'm like, oh, snaps, what a divine appointment. I'm getting ready to preach that this Sunday. All these heavy hitter spiritual giants are going to weigh in on this topic. I'm going to take notes from it and then re-preach re it with fuego on Sunday. That's fire for all the white people. <laughs> and, and then I'm like hyped up, right? I'm like, I'm going to just, these guys are going to load me up. So I have my notepad ready. What does God think about you? And we go around and they were like, be vulnerable. And the first pastor, you know what he says? Sometimes I think that God thinks he should just find somebody else to do this job. And I'm like, wait, what? Wait, what? And then the next pastor goes and he's like, yeah, sometimes I think that God thinks he's invested so much into me and I've produced so little fruit. And I'm like, wait, 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 wait. First of all, I'm not getting any good notes out of this. But I'm like, these guys know the Bible. Probably many of them in the room so much better than I do. Probably can quote the whole thing in Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic, but that's what they think that God thinks about them? What do the people think? And I started wrestling with this message, and I started thinking about Jacob, the heel grabber. And I'm thinking that many of you in this room are heel grabbers as well. You know, it's, it's something inside of us that knows we're destined for more, but we just don't know how quite to get it. And you know what messed us up even more? This thing called the self-esteem movement. I don't know if we have any children of the 80s in the room from that. But I had done this thing in school where I had to do a shoe kicking contest. And I remember getting a 36th place ribbon for kicking my shoe the 36th longest distance out of 50. That's embarrassing, okay? And the reason why I say that is because we've been so hyped up on the Disney fantasy of everyone's a winner. Everyone has greatness inside of them. Everyone has something to do for this life. And then you get into this disillusionment phase where you're like, is greatness me binge watching this Netflix series right now and hating my job and really, really, really wanting to cuss my wife out even though I just got out of church? Is that greatness? And we feel like our lives don't quite match up to this thing, this conviction that's inside of us. Can somebody preach back to me and say, well? well. 
But let me tell you a little bit about the story of Jacob. So Jacob, he's a heel grabber. I believe personally that he never let go of that heel. I think that some of you in, this, in, in life have a heel that you're grabbing onto. And he always sort of had this jealousy for his brother, this want for more in this position of life that he was in. And he began to manipulate the situation. And he all of a sudden set up a scenario where he tricked his brother into giving him the inheritance by swearing that it was his. Now, this might not much make much sense to you because our words don't mean as much. But can I tell you as a former English teacher that it's, everyone go... <laughs> right, you push up your glasses. In Elizabethan times, and this is only going back hundreds of years, not thousands, people's words meant so much that Shakespeare wouldn't even write the vows of a wedding ceremony into a wedding because they believed that if you were to say those vows, it would make them true and you'd be married for real. That's why in Shakespearean plays, the wedding is insinuated and you get the after party, you don't get the vows in them. And words meant that much. Sometimes I wish words meant that much again, don't you? But going back to this time in, in the context of Judaism historically, to say a thing, to swear a thing, to make an oath, to make a covenant, it meant something. Words meant something. And so all of a sudden his brother Esau, who was the hairy manly man, came in, out of, came out of an episode of Duck Dynasty. He was a hunter. He was a manly man. He came in so famished from a hunt that he said, man, that thing that you're cooking, Esau, can I get some of that? Or Jacob. And Jacob said, you can have it if you give me your inheritance. See, what happened was he, instead of believing that God had placed that conviction inside of him for more and that God was going to make it happen, he started to manipulate to make it happen. And that is the very pitfall. If you feel like God's got greatness locked inside of you is to manipulate your way into that greatness. And all of a sudden, Esau, who was famished, was like, yeah, yeah, whatever, just give me some of that. And all of a sudden, he began to make that vow, take that soup, and, and then, then a next series of events happens where they perceive that his father Isaac is on his deathbed, and then that all of a sudden gives rise to another opportunity. And even, are you guys following me today? Even Jacob's mother becomes an accomplice to the crime and says, I want to see Jacob lay hold of the thing that God told me years ago so much that I'll help him manipulate the situation and says, hey, while your brother is going out hunting, why don't you slip into this room and put a fur of an animal on your arm and make your blind dad think that you are actually, in fact, Esau and transmit that blessing to you and seal the deal. And how many of you know that when you go to manipulate the thing that God has called you to do, that people around you will do it with you and manipulate with you to even see it come through. That's why sometimes it's even dangerous. I don't know about you, but sometimes I've been in a church service for years and years, and you watch the preacher preaching, and you start coming up under that cloud of mental activity, and you're like, oh, somebody give me the mic. I'm ready to go up there and drop some bombs right now. Or you hear Pastor Julie singing, and all of a sudden in that moment, you're a heel grabber, and you're like, oh, man, spirit break out. But if I was up on that stage, I'd bring it an octave higher, and the spirit would really break out. <laughs> and what happens is that we become these eternal heel grabbers. And see, what happens is that begins to create such a level of discontent in our lives that we truly are never happy with the right now. We despise the small beginnings because we can't quite settle in our spirit that God is going to bring supernaturally the thing to pass that he promised in the first place. And when I think about my life, I can see that I always sort of had one heel, one hand on the heel. 
I always had one hand on somebody else's heel. You know, I, I said it earlier this week, and Craig Rochelle said it, and I echoed him. It's like where comparison begins is where contentment ends. And we live our entire life sort of comparing ourselves against other people. And let me just kind of slow down for this revelation because I want you to get it. When we created God in our own image, he starts speaking like we speak to ourselves. And if you're always telling yourself about how you're not good enough, if you've received a false gospel and you've received a God that you made in your own image, he's going to start sounding like your own voice. And when he's crying out, I love you so much, so desperately. I'm so proud of you. You woke up today and even waking up was actually a victory for you. How many of you know there's some days where waking up is the victory? Amen. But you can't hear the voice of God telling you he's so happy and pleased with the fact that you chose to wake up today because you've made a God in your own image. And because you made a God in your own image, he sounds like you. And so he condemns you like you condemn you. And when I listened to those pastors, I was like, oh, man, I know that they know the word. I know that they know the thoughts of God for them. But, but man, it's so easy to forget it. When I think about Jacob, his mother had received the word about what was going to happen and what was destined for his life. But guess what? She said, I'm going to get in and help God a little bit. More destinies have been aborted trying to help God. Do the thing that he's never called you to do. A.W. Tozer says it like this. Jesus calls us to his rest. Somebody say rest. And meekness in his method. See, there's a meekness in the method of the gospel. The meek man cares not at all who is greater than he, for he has long ago decided that the esteem of the world is not worth the effort. See, there was a a long time where I think Jacob was looking for the esteem of the world. Matter of fact, His brother became so murderous when he found out that he was robbed of his destiny to take over the the lineage and the inheritance of the promise to Abraham that he was going to be so blessed that it was going to outnumber the stars and that he was going to be so blessed when he's in the city. When he found out that he got duped out of that blessing, he was so murderous that the mother said, Jacob, you got to run to a distant land. It's time for you to go find a wife and start a new life somewhere else. And then guess what happens to Jacob? The consequences of his own actions come back upon him because he spent seven years getting tricked by the father of a daughter and he received that ugly older wife. (laughs) That one that he woke up next to and said, oh snaps, what did I do? And it's not a Tinder date gone wrong. It's a seven year journey for that one Tinder date that you wake up next to saying, oh snaps. (laughs) And what happens is the trickster gets tricked. See, what happens, I've seen a lot of people go rogue on their pastor and rebel against him and start a ministry, and seven years later, they go, oh, snaps, my people just rebelled against me. What happens when the trickster gets tricked? I've seen somebody jockey for position, jockey for a microphone, jockey for that that thing that they want so badly, and then years later, they reap the repercussions of of their own jockeying. And all of a sudden they say, oh man. But see, sometimes God will allow you to be wounded in the area that he has your greatest destiny so that when you get there, it's a reminder that he did it and not you. 
And I've been there before. Some of you know my story. I'm not going to tell it again, but I'll never forget being in our Four Seasons room in Valparaiso, Indiana, with my wife living 26 miles away down the street with my daughter, Bella, who was just a baby. And all of a sudden, I had this moment that hit me. And see, what happened was God was drawing me back. And, and see, what was happening was... To Jacob, God said, you need to go back to Esau. You need to reconcile. You need to humble yourself because there's this thing in psychology called cognitive dissonance. Cognitive dissonance is the gap between who you think you are and who you really are. Are you following me, church? And up until that point, I thought I was a decent preacher. I thought I could sing a song. I had toured. I had got paid to play music. You must be good if you're getting paid to play music. I had gotten paid to go to other countries and preach the gospel. You must be decent if they're paying for you to show up to do it. But I believe up until that point, there was a cognitive dissonance between who Mike Signorelli was, Signorelli really was and who I thought he was. There's some of you in this room right now that can't figure out why you're so discontented. You're a heel grabber. You can't figure out why you can't quit, quite get to the more. But see, God will call you back to Esau. He'll call you back to areas in your past. He will send you back to the pain that you encountered in your past and say, we got to revisit something. You think you've graduated past that divorce, but I got to take you back to the moment because because there's something I want to show you. We've graduated. Oh man, but I'm at a new church and I'm serving and I'm healed and whole. Sometimes God will say, well, I got to take you back to that moment where you were hurt at the last one because there's something I need you to see. And see, Jacob thought that what he was getting ready to do was reconcile with Esau, but he was getting ready to reconcile with himself. And see, today, and I'm getting ready to close right now, you're getting ready to reconcile with yourself. That's what happened to me. My wife had left me and I'm in that room and I'm praying and I'm pouring out my heart before God. See, I got this revelation that I believe that Tim Keller got as well. He said, the gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. We say no perfect people allowed, that's halfway to understanding the gospel is understanding how sinful and flawed in ourselves that we are. It's more than we ever dared believe. You're that broken. You're, you're that messed up. That's why Jesus said it's so hard for a rich person to come into the kingdom because you've got a million dollars and a million reasons to explain away your brokenness. That's why Jesus found him amongst himself amongst the poor and the prostitutes and the tax collectors who were so despised because they're able to acknowledge their deep need. Can you see your deep need today? Today, See, Jacob was such a heel grabber. He was so ferocious about getting position and getting into that next space in life and getting that house and getting that next position at, jo at his job and get elevated. He couldn't see it. But, but Tim Keller said this, the gospel is this. You are more sinful and flawed in, in yourself than you ever dared to believe. Yet, at the same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. There's a hope rising right now, heel grabber. See, let me read to you what it says happened as he's on this journey. You guys got a few more minutes for me? You got a few more minutes for this preacher today? Because the story's not over. He's looking at the total sum of all of his success. 
He's got wives. He's got flocks that have grown. And yet he's saying, but there's more. There's more. You know, sometimes God will allow you to accumulate just enough success in your life to know that that success is a counterfeit for the real thing. And he finds himself on the road back to reconcile with Esau to get a revelation. And this is what it says. But Jacob stayed behind by himself. Somebody say, by myself. And a man wrestled with him and until daybreak. See, this is a familiar story with some unfamiliar revelation for you today. When the man saw that he couldn't get the best of Jacob and they wrestled, he deliberately threw Jacob's hip out of joint. Oh, man, isn't it just like God to wound you in the very place that your story began? See, he was holding on to somebody else's leg and God shortened his. See, God will sometimes allow you to be wounded in the area that you strive in the most to know within you when find success in that area, you'll know I'm limping in this area. See, I tried to book my schedule for preaching and I strive so much, but then God's all of a sudden going to say, touching you in that place I tried so hard God I strive so hard to write that worship song and then he touches you in that place wounds you in that area failed worship projects that never made it out of a pro tool session sermons that you wrote that were never scheduled to be preached blueprints for a business that was never awarded any kind of money from the bank to mobilize into the next step and he'll wound you in that place and he'll have you suspended waiting long enough to prove something jacob waiting 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 and it says this the man said what's your name Some translations call him the angel of the Lord. Some theologians believe it's the pre-incarnate representation of Jesus himself. He looks him in the eye and he says, what's your name? See, after my wife had left me, after I quit ministry and I was broken on my floor before God and I was crying out, I believe that what happened in that moment was that the Holy Spirit said, Michael, what's your name? And what he was asking me was, What is your nature? Who really are you? And he was closing the gap on that cognitive dissonance. And he was saying, I need you to recognize who you truly are so that I can show you who I truly am. And I begin to cry out, God, this is who I really am. I'm a liar. I'm a cheater. I'm an adulterer. I'm a failure. I'm a fake. I preached all these sermons, but I don't know that I ever preached them for you. I preached them for the approval of man. I sing all kinds of songs. And I called it worship, but it wasn't really worship. I was looking for their approval. This is who I am, God. And as I begin to say who I really was, I received the true gospel. He said, Jacob, welcome. Now that you can see yourself for what you really are, I'm going to show you a love I have for you. Oh, it's better than you ever dared to believe. Now I'm going to call you a new name. And I got a word for you in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 4. It says, it's clear to us, friends, that God not only loves you very much, but he also put his hand on you for something special. Jacob knew it. Just went about it the wrong way for a long time until he wrestled. God's put his hand on you for something special. I want every single one of you to hear me when I say this. 
When the message was preached and it came to you, it wasn't just words. Oh, Mike Signorelli didn't just deliver words for 30 minutes. Something happened in you. The Holy Spirit put steel in your convictions. And the reason why you didn't kill yourself is because there's steel in your convictions. The reason why you showed up to church today is because there's steel in your convictions. You know something. It's power of God at work inside of you. Jacob had steel in his convictions that caused him for a very long time to hold on to the heel of somebody else. But let me just tell you what changed. Can I tell you what changed? He spent years holding on to the heel of someone else because the steel of those convictions that were delivered into his spirit that was navigating for him what he was called to do, all of a sudden he let go of the heel of man for the very first time and he began to wrestle with the angel of the Lord all through the night. See, when he took his hand off the heel of someone else, it freed his hand to hold on to the Spirit of God manifest through that figure. And I'm here to tell you today that if you'll take your hand off the heel of comparison, off of the Disney dream, you can grab on with both hands and he was never going to win a wrestling match with God. You don't win a wrestling match with God, you just hold on. Somebody shout, hold on! Somebody shout, hold on. That's how you're going to go all the way. I got to read you one last thing. Would you stand on your feet? How's the dream going to come to pass, Pastor Mike? How's this going to be different than the conference? How's this going to be different than all the hype I've experienced before? This time, Jacob, you are going to release the heel to hold on to the hem. You're going to grab him by the hem of his garment, and you're saying, I'm not letting you go in prayer. See, God will make you wait long enough to prove your talents didn't get you there. Oh, Jacob. I'm going to make you wait long enough to prove that your talents didn't get you there. God will make you wait long enough to learn how to have fun between successes. See, the kind of success that God gives, the Bible says that it doesn't add any sorrow. If you need success to have fun, there's going to be a lot of times that you're not having fun. And God will say, I'm going to wait until you learn how to smile in this situation before I graduate you to the next. God will make you wait long enough to learn how to celebrate the small things that he's into. Oh, you better learn how to fall in love with the small things before God trusts you with something bigger. Jacob, you're going to have to learn how to love the sheep and the flocks and the, the, the children you already have before I give you the promise of Abraham that will be incalculable blessing. Oh, Mike, you better learn how to love that movie theater before I give you another venue. You better learn how to love the people I've given you before I give you more. Somebody here has got to learn how to love the smallness before God releases the greatness. God will make you wait long enough to learn how to define greatness by heaven's standards. Who told you what greatness was? What if I already told you that by heaven's standards, when you clean the toilet out at the HQ before welcome home night, you accomplish greatness? What if I ever told you that when you signed up for the dream team and touched a fader with your hand to run sound, you accomplished greatness? What if I ever told you that by bringing your kids to church and checking them into V1 Kids, that was greatness? I mean, who defined it for you that's making so much discontent in your life, Jacob? Jacob.
Because when you've been wrestling with the master, you'll redefine greatness. What if I told you you're already great if you're in Jesus? Because he's great. He'll make you wait long enough to give up your Disney dream for heaven's dream. Come on, you're not Cinderella, so stop waiting for the glass slipper. That's Disney's story. God's got another story for you. What's your name, Jacob? Come on, somebody. God will make you wait long enough to see his greatness independent from the great things he's going to do through you. Come on, heel grabbers. Come on, heel grabbers. You know why we lift our hands in worship? Because it enables you to let go of the heel of the thing that you haven't let go of yet. We lift our hands. We're saying, I'm letting go of a heel. I'm letting go of comparison. I'm letting go of a convoluted idea of what I should have done and should have been. And I'm going to grab hold of the master and I'm not letting go. Come on, let's close this thing out with every eye closed in this place. Listen, so here's what I need you to do right now. I need you to grab the link to this podcast and I need you to share it with as many people as you can. Tag your friends. Keep this thing moving because it's not enough that God does something in our lives. He will do something in our lives so that we can share it with other people. We can minister to them out of the overflow of what's been done in our lives. So now I commission you to share this and pay it forward. Just whatever God did in your life, trust that he's going to do it in their life too. So friends, family members, unsaved loved ones, go ahead and tag them in this message and share it with them now. Until next week, I'll see you later. This is Mike Signorelli from V1 New York. Peace.